you, and Ocean View Online, good to have you with us. During the month of May, we've been looking at brave biblical characters. People that took a brave step of faith. They allowed God to work through them. Now, it wasn't on their own grit, their own determination, their own strength that they succeeded. They fully surrendered to Christ. And that's not just true 3,000 years ago. It's still true today. It's not about trying harder. It's about relying on Jesus. Last week, we had a peek at Beniah. with big implications in our lives. Benaiah chased a lion, which made us think about chasing lions in our own lives, circumstances that are attacking us or areas that God is challenging us to step into. And we learned that if you want to be a lion chaser, number one, lion chasers know that the bigger their God is, the smaller the lions become. We have a great, big, wonderful God. Number two, lion chasers understand that playing it safe is risky. In doing life with Jesus, we have to take faith risks. In the kingdom of God, we find that we have to trust God all the time. And that takes faith. We can't always play it safe. Sometimes we have to take faith risks, chasing lions like Benaiah. Now, today is Mother's Day. And so I felt that we should look at one of the stories that features a woman. So we're going to look at a woman who was fearless for God. And her name was Deborah. And she was, among other things, an incredible leader of the nation of Israel. So first of all, we have to figure out how do we pronounce her name. Because I grew up thinking it was Deborah. Uh, but there's an O in there. And in Hebrew, it is Devorah. Uh, and the accents on the last syllable. <laughs> you know what I mean. Devorah. And in Hebrew, modern Hebrew, they don't have a B. They use a V, so Devorah. So it would be Devorah. And Devorah is a B. So it's uh, just a, the B is Devorah. And so I'm going to use Devorah. So if you don't like that too bad, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So today we're going to talk about a lady named Devorah. Now, to start off, maybe you remember a movie that came out a few years ago, uh, 2019 actually, Captain Marvel, and it starred Brie Larson. Instead of the damsel in distress, this was the damsel who came to the aid of those in distress. It was very well received in the box office. It actually made $1.1 billion dollars. It's interesting, Brie Larson comments on uh, taking this particular role. She says, When the opportunity came to play Captain Marvel, this symbol of feminism, I saw it as an opportunity to play an empowering role for women. I saw this role and this film as an important step, and I wanted to be a part of it. I think Captain Marvel sends out a message that's undeniably important to the world right now. Well, Deborah had the same effect for the last 3,300 years that Brie Larson had playing that role. Many similarities to Judges chapter 4. Now, I don't think Deborah was exactly a Captain Marvel, uh, but she was a hero, someone that the people of Israel needed at a very specific time in their, in their journey. 
She made herself available to God, and she was able to use her time and talents to God's glory. If you've never read the story of Deborah before, uh, let's start at the beginning, which is found in Judges chapter 4 in the Old Testament. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now, this was the period of the judges. Moses had led the people of Egypt, uh, out of Egypt into the promised land of Canaan. Joshua led the people into the land, but there was no chain of command that produced the next leader. Instead, God raised up leaders who were called judges. And that's why the book is called Judges. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, you're going to see different names in Judges. You will, hear, you will know some of the stories. It, it's spread out over the land of Israel, and it is about 100 years is going on here. There are names like Gideon and Samson and uh, maybe Ehud you might know. There's a few other ones uh, that are kind of strange, little bits and stories, Jephthah. The one before Deborah was Ehud. Now, he had an interesting story all his own, but we won't go into that this morning. We're going to talk about Deborah. The Canaanites surrounded the nation of Israel. Israel was more in the mountains around. There's the top, you see the Lake Galilee and the Dead Sea down at the bottom, and that's mountainous area. The Israelites were in the mountains. On the coastal range were the Philistines, the Canaanites, and in the north and around, and more in the lowlands was the Canaanite countries. You'll call them countries, principalities, city-states more than. You had a city, and if you had a big city, you had a lot of power. If you had a small city, you had a small amount of power. And there was lots of give and take of tribal, of kind of tribal warfare. King Jabin was a Canaanite king, and he was very powerful in the north. So the north, you see Hazor. That was his capital city. He was, uh, they were Canaanites. They were coming and pressing down from the north. He had a general, who, General Sisera, was headquartered in Harosheth Hagoim. And that's just uh, the little point on the Mediterranean coast there is Mount Carmel. And ha Harosheth Hagoim is just in that area, just at the foothills of the Shephelah, which is the lowlands there. And it's just at the edge of the mountains. And that was, there was an army post there. There was a constant threat, a constant oppression of the Canaanites against the Israelites. Canaanites wanted more land. They would push up into the mountains, try to take over the good land that the Israelites had. So there would be taxes. There would be raids. There would be theft. And all of this is going on and just getting worse and worse and worse for about 20 years before Deborah has her time. The one thing it mentions is the Canaanites had chariots. General Sisera had 900 chariots fitted with iron. This was an updated innovation in warfare at the time. It was a very powerful strategic weapon. It would, in a sense, be equivalent to the Humvee. 
today. Uh, Humvee is a high-mobility, mobi- high multi-purpose wheeled vehicle. Uh, it saw grain popularity during the uh, Gulf War when tanks that were used in the, uh, in the European theater were no longer of any use in the desert. And so the Humvee was there. And it's, it, the beauty of the Humvee was they could go fast, quick to any area. And that was General Sisera. With the horses, each, each uh, Canaanite Humvee had a driver and an archer that were protected by armor. And they had horses that could be very rapidly deployed wherever they were needed. They could go to places before the enemy could respond. The other thing the Canaanites had was iron. The Israelites would be stuck with bronze. They didn't have iron. The Canaanites had all the iron. And so it was just it was a losing battle against the Canaanite armies. Israel was in a terrible cycle. The whole thing of judges about, is about cycles. It's called a judge's cycle. The Israelites were constantly tempted to worship the God of the Canaanites and the Philistine neighbors. It felt more up-to-date, more modern. It was a God that they could see. There were idols, and you can see that God. And it matched up with the superstitions that were going around. So there was this temptation to fall into idolatry. And then from idolatry, they would become oppressed. God would kind of say, fine, if you're going to do that, I'll leave, it. I'll leave you to it. And he would back off. And the Israelites began fighting amongst themselves, warring amongst themselves. In business dealings, there was cheating and lying going on. They were warned by God numerous times, but there's still very little response, very little repentance on the part of the people. So God allowed them to be repressed by other countries, the surrounding tribes and cultures. And at the time of Deborah, the oppression had lasted about 20 years. So now in desperation... The country turns back to God, and God sends a deliverer. Now this time, it's not a man, it's a woman. And we continue to read now in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes settled. Deborah was unique in biblical literature. She was a prophet and a leader. And as a prophet, she would receive messages from God. And it was her job to explain it to the people. The people also began to realize that she had incredible wisdom. Counseling, leading, deciding issues, guiding people to settle disputes, even legal matters. People originally came to her from her tribe of Issachar. But then other people from the other 11 Israelite tribes began to come to her with their problems. They came in large numbers to have their issues discussed and settled. This wasn't a common thing at that time for a woman to rise up to that position of power. In his book on Judges, Leon Wood says that she was a woman in a day when women were given little place in leadership and still held such a position of influence makes her qualities in this respect more noteworthy. It was unusual to have a woman in this position. She had no known aristocratic background. She was simply known as the wife of Lapidoth. She was a homemaker. Uh, She was a very busy woman. The next chapter says that she was a mother in Israel, so it appears that there were children as well. So she was busy, busy bee. Devorah, the bee, ah, you got it there, okay. 
She was the only woman who was elevated to this position by her peers. And it's a very unique story in the ancient world. As the judge or the leader of Israel, she was based in the center of Israel. So down at the bottom of that map there, you'll see Bethel and Ramah. That's kind of where she was uh, stationed and where people would come to her from both the north and the south. Now our story takes place 50 miles to the north at Mount Tabor, which is in the middle there, just below the Sea of Galilee. It's situated between King Jabin at Hazor and his general Sisera at Harasheth Hagayim. Israel was spiritually parched at this time. They had rejected God in the book of Judges, it says, a number of times, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, it's very similar to the relativism of today. That's where people are just not sure about right and wrong. Everything is okay in your eyes. Whatever you do is what's right for you. The same action could be right for you, but morally wrong for someone else. One person thinks it's okay, another believes it isn't okay, but that's okay, you do what you want to do. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. You believe and you act as you see best. So there was some struggle about what was right, what was wrong. They really needed a prophet. They really needed a leader who would help them decide some of these issues, and that is Our Lady Deborah. Normal life was no longer possible. Thus, God raises up Deborah to be a judge and a leader and eventually a deliverer of her people in a time of war. God has spoken through leaders of the past like Moses and Joshua. And one day, God had a message for the prophet Deborah to give to one of the Israelite commanders named Barak. We continue to read verse 6. Deborah sent for Barak, son of Ahinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera and the commander of Jabin's armies with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So God's speaking through Deborah. That compassion, that sense of being a mother is awakened in her. She has been watching these Canaanites oppressing her people for over 20 years. And finally she says, enough is enough. And God says, I am going to raise you up. Now, we miss the entire point of the story if we just think, wow, what an amazing woman. Or what leadership, what wisdom. Deborah would say, all of that came from God. God was the total source of strength and wisdom for her. And Deborah would want us to know just how amazing God is. We can sense the Holy Spirit moving us sometimes to take up a challenge, to chase some lions. But we may feel ill-equipped for the tax. Like, God's telling me to do this, but I, I don't think I can do this. I'm not equipped. But you see... God doesn't call the equipped. God does equip the ones he calls, however. And I'm sure Deborah must have felt out of her element, being the leader of Israel at this time, being a woman and leading Israel, being a woman and leading Israel and telling the, the Israeli general or commander, God wants you to go to war. But God called her and equipped her to do the job. And he'll do the same for each one of us. 
It appears that Israel was weak as a nation because they kept abandoning God. It was only when they were in serious trouble that they would actually cry out to God and ask for help, and then he would send a rescuer. This happened over and over and over again in the book of Judges. God was so faithful to his people. He wouldn't let them get too far down the road before he sent a rescuer. We've already seen that he sent Deborah as an extremely confident political leader. But behind every politician, you need some muscle. You need to put the plan into action. And if you can't back up the threat, you're only blowing hot air. So Deborah calls Barak to step up. And Deborah finds Barak in the north and gives him God's message. Get 10,000 of your militia from the two northern tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun. Head to Mount Tabor and make a show of defiance to King Jabin's army. If you're on top of Mount Tabor, the chariots can't reach you. But you could get starved out. So what's Commander Barak's response? Okay, She says, Barak, get men. And here's what Barak says. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. That was me with my mom. If you go with me. Barak seems to lack confidence. God has chosen him, and so has Deborah. 10,000 warriors follow him, but he is against this superior force, these 900 iron chariots with iron weapons, and there would have been infantry to go along with them as well. The Canaanites had more weapons, more men, iron weapons, and so he says to Bora, if you go with me, I'll go. Now Deborah agrees to go with him when we read, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. It seems a little bit of a rebuke, doesn't it? It sounds like, ah, oh, man, you are going to lose out. I think Barak is thinking, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Whoever gets the glory, whatever, but I got to go to war and I'm not really looking forward to it. A future event will see the defeat of the enemy's commander, but the glory won't go to Barak. It will go to a woman instead. I think there is a little bit of Barak's hesitation in all of us. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot in some of us. If we're totally honest, in those big moments when God calls us to step out in obedience to him, we would often say, God, I want to, but I'm so nervous, I'm so scared, it's like chasing lions. This seems crazy. And that's why the Bible continues to resonate throughout the centuries. We are 3,300 years away from this story, and yet we can identify with a guy like Barak. He is extremely human. Now, that I th what I think Barak was saying was, I want to do God's will in this adventure, but I'm just not sure about this faith step. And he turns to Deborah and he says, Deborah, I've seen that God is with you. Please go with me. I want to be 100% sure that this is God's doing. And I want you to know that, I, or I want to know that God is with me. Deborah, you're the one giving these commands. You're the one speaking to God. You know God. Please go with me. 
the presence of the prophetess would assure contact with the Lord throughout the whole time, especially if something were to go wrong. So typically in the ancient world, the seer, um, the prophet, or the oracle, would be found in the army camp, no matter where you were. Greeks, Romans, uh, Canaanites, there would be some sort of uh, wise man or prophet or seer or witch doctor. Often great weight was put in what the gods thought. Please don't offend the gods or we'll lose this encounter. Just like the presence of Moses and the Ark of the Covenant brought victory in battle, and their absence meant defeat, Barak is saying, I need to know that God is with me. God is with you, Deborah. Please come with me. Now let me tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will be asked at some time in your life or many times in your life to go with someone. Maybe it's their first visit to a worship service. Uh, I'll go, but will you go with me? Maybe they're going to participate in an alpha course. Maybe it's a visit to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or a summer onside camp or a youth group. Will you go with me? Maybe it's a visit to the hospital. Like, hey, I, I've got to go see my mom and I'm just freaked out by all this hospital stuff. Can you go with me? Maybe it's meeting at the funeral home. My daughter Sarah had just married into Rob's family, the Lacey family, and Rob's grandfather passed away within about a, a week or two of the wedding. And the family was actually freaked out. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to deal with a funeral. They didn't even know where to start. And my daughter had been going to funerals since she was three years old. I would lead a funeral, and she'd sit in the back row and color or do whatever, and so uh, she knew everything that was supposed to happen, what was supposed to go on. So she took Rob and the family through the whole process and helped them arrange a funeral for Grandpa. It was something that they were very unfamiliar with, but it was something that she knew all about. You will be asked, as a follower of Jesus, to go with somebody. But even as a Christian, you will sometimes say, can you go with me? Can you help me? Can you be with me? Even as believers, we will look for people to go with us. But eventually, we are going to realize that it is Jesus going with us. That through all of life, it is Jesus who is going beside us. He promised to send the comforter. But until we mature into that knowledge, we will often say, please, will you go with me? Well, let's continue on in this story of Deborah. Judges 4, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Deborah's confidence inspires Barak to go ahead. From that point on, Barak seems good to go. He bravely leads his forces. They're victorious in battle. Uh, the issue is that it was past the spring rains. That's why Sisera was so keen to get his chariots out there because, hey, it's June. It's not going to rain. We're, we're good. Our chariots are good. So the charioteers felt confident in their ability to maneuver around all this infantry that was coming at them. However, the next chapter is a song, the Song of Deborah, and it actually says what happened. The earth shook. 
the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. It rained a thunderstorm in a time when it shouldn't be raining, and there were flash floods. The chariots were useless. The river Kishon was hit with a flash flood at the foot of Mount Tabor, and it actually rose up so much it swept some of the chariots away. Barak's warriors overpowered Sisera's army. Barak couldn't have done it without Deborah and her strong leadership, which came directly from her faith in God. So where are you today in your faith confidence? As this faithless, fearless, as this fearless series keeps telling us, it's only when you and I are fully rely on God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's only when we fully rely on Him that we ourselves become fearless. Deborah was the ultimate encourager. She came alongside, she gave Barak strength. Sometimes you and I are called upon to do that for our friends. You don't have to come fully loaded for God to use you. You don't have to have a long list of accomplishments, skills, or abilities. God takes you where you are, and along the way, he gives you what you need. And as we step out in faith, God is faithful to give us the skills to do what he's called us to do. It's an incredible assurance of following Jesus. So as we conclude, let me tell you what finally happened. I know you're curious. What, what, what happened in the end of the story? Well, if we continue to read... When the enemy general Sisera realized that he was defeated, he took off without his chariot because it was stuck in the mud. So he got down. He was running on foot away from the victorious Israeli army. He headed toward his commander up north. He didn't go to Hereseth because the Israeli army was already at Hereseth. So he headed north towards King Jabin. On the way, Sisera found refuge at the tent of Tabor, the Kenite, who it appears was not home that day. Tabor's wife, Jael, invites Sisera in to get something to eat, to rest, and to hide. Then, while he's sleeping, Jael takes a tent peg and a hammer and drives the tent peg through Sisera's temple and into the ground. Now these two women, Deborah and Jael, were one big headache for Sisera. <laughs> Dr. Graham, as he was telling this story in Bible school, he said, this is the story of, you can remember it, jail and the nail. There comes a time when mothers fight for their children. Sisera and his chariots had oppressed Israel for 20 years, and now the people were free. It was a major blow to the Canaanites. It was a step forward in removing the idolatry in that part of the country. You can be fearless in facing the oppression of our day, but sometimes you will need a friend to travel the road with you. Sometimes you may be the one to travel the journey with someone else. 2 Corinthians tells us that God brings us encouragement and comfort so that we will be able to reach out with that comfort that Jesus brings to us and give it to others. You receive comfort so that you can comfort others. Please, will you go with me? I pray that in this week ahead, that when you are asked to go along with someone, that you will be fearless and able to come alongside. And some of us may just need to ask someone, please, can you go with me?
Lord, thank you that you promised to go with us. Give us the grace to travel the road with someone else. Amen. I'm going to ask Justin to come.